For the week of April 12th, 2020, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are reviewing the eighth episode of the seventh and final season of The Clone Wars, Together Again, in which Ahsoka and the Martez sisters once again plot an escape from the Pikes, and in doing so, Ahsoka discovers the menace who is pressuring the Pikes. John, what did you think of this episode? I kind of think this is the episode we should have been watching last week. Uh, I'm so excited to find out what's going on on Mandalore and how Maul plays into it all that I kind of feel like Last week, we sort of spun our wheels. We, we kind of started in one spot, ended up in the same spot. And I just wonder uh, why we didn't uh, get to this point in the story where they're face to face with the Mandalorians and making their choice about, uh, you know, what path they're going to take. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just ready to get on with things, but still perfectly fun outing a little little juvenile in spots, but I had some fun with it. So I think it'll be fun to break it down. Well, let's go ahead and get into this episode. So this week's Jedi fortune cookie, you can change who you are, but you cannot run from yourself. Mm -hmm. So like you said, this feels like the episode we should have watched (laughs) last week. It starts in the same way to the point where I had to pause and check and make sure (laughs) I was watching the right episode because it was very similar. Yeah, I I guess Lucasfilm had so much of this stuff already mapped out and pre-visualized that maybe they just didn't want to reinvent anything more than they had to. I'm not really sure why, but I feel like with both of these first two arcs, three episodes would have been better. I think it just would have tightened everything up. And with last week, you know, the whole episode was, are they going to discover that she's a Jedi? And when it doesn't happen, you're like, okay, well that's great. But the real interesting thing is if they do discover that she's a Jedi, what does that mean for their relationship? We get that in this one. So it just makes me wonder like, yeah, why, why dance around it? Why not just get to the meat that we got in this episode? Yeah. And I mean, the theme is very similar. The first, second and third acts are almost identical. I mean, you have the bickering in the prison cell. You have the, uh, the plotting and escape from the prison cell. You have the uh, escape gone wrong from the prison cell. Like everything was basically the same thing. Now, the thing that I really enjoyed about this episode, because I'm not dogging this episode, uh, in particular, because it really was what I wanted last week. Like this was, if, if we had to do, you know, do the classic remake an episode, this was perfect perfect for what it was trying to do but yeah we're we're four episodes into this arc we finally get to the the climax or the conclusion of this story of the martez sisters with ahsoka but yeah i mean it was basically just the same old thing ahsoka's planning to uh basically come up with some sort of plan to get them out of this and her plan is really interesting because she uh, opts to stay behind and let the Martez sisters go back to Coruscant and basically disappear while Ahsoka plots her own escape here. Yeah. If, if you'd taken the one little uh, reveal of the last episode, which is the girls explaining their backstory and what happened to their parents and why they're not warm on the Jedi. If you just inserted that into the beginning of this episode where they're still sitting in the cell, you know, killing time, you would have the complete story that we needed told here. So to get to the point where the characters have to make decisions, Ahsoka has to decide, okay, am I going to let them go and sort this out myself? She could have got to that without them having to run around the town square, you know, for an afternoon. Um, I like the decisions that are made here because 
Ahsoka makes a selfless act that even Rafa can't deny is a noble thing. You know, that's what finally starts to win her over. Whereas the episode before, we didn't really get that moment either. They end the episodes just as much at odds as where they started. And because of that, you, you just didn't have any real character growth or you didn't feel any progression in their arcs. This one, you get all that. That's why this episode works so much better rather than just, you know, the fun hijinks of, of being out and about getting shot at. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've had more than ample time to set the table with these characters. We know where everyone's coming from. Now we finally put them in a situation where they have to make real decisions and there's some real consequences. Yeah, and even for the Pikes. So we find out that the Pikes are getting pressured by someone right. who always knows. And so from right right here, my immediate guess was, okay, this is the Maul play, and this is where Dar- Darth Maul comes in. We don't get that reveal quite yet. It's kind of like a teaser. They throw it right. out there. If this was on Cartoon Network, this would have been the commercial break, and then yes. you come back to uh, to this next thing. But yeah, so the Pikes, they're getting pressured. And then, the like you said, the Martez sisters, and especially Rafa, they acknowledge knowledge ahsoka sacrifice here so i guess that was the the cool part of this one yeah there it's a little abrupt right we've seen rafa be so self-centered and so like manipulative of her sister we really haven't seen almost anything redeeming in that character up to this point so for her to seem to be so quickly won over by ahsoka's act it seemed a little convenient it's like rafa is hard as stone and we'll never change when the plot needs her to be hard as stone. And the second we need to bring the story to a conclusion, she has, uh, you know, a, a moment of reflection that it, it doesn't quite feel earned. Like it doesn't quite feel like they made it obvious that the character was capable of this kind of action. Uh, like even with a Han Solo, you know, he's coming back at the end. You know that he's got a heart of gold, like even though uh, he never would admit it. As you're watching the movie, you understand, you know, he's, he's a hero. There's something good there. They didn't quite build that in Rafa's character enough for you to, or at least for me to buy into the idea that she was going to be so quick to do something altruistic. Whereas last episode, she was happy to see Ahsoka, like, you know, fall off a cliff and just be like, oh, let's just pretend she doesn't exist and go home. You know, like that was the Rafa we've seen up to this point. So they have this opportunity where they can just go home. So I I would have liked to see a bit more exposition or something that help define her character a bit more to make this feel like the obvious move, the thing that she would do if put in the situation. But nonetheless, <laughs> we got, we got to get our story moving towards uh, the end game here. So I, I can be forgiving of some of these conveniences. I, I completely understand this whole thing where we didn't get enough of Rafa's exposition or exposition of Rafa to make this Han Solo like sacrifice. I mean, right. don't don't get me wrong. The the similar themes and the parallels and the mirrors between Rafa and Han Solo have been there from the beginning. You know, she thinks she's yeah. better at her job than what she really is. And she yeah. thinks she's better at talking than what she really is. Uh, but yeah, this one, she makes it seem like she doesn't. She, she still makes it seem like she doesn't care so you have rafa talking to trace and saying like oh yeah i'm only going back because ahsoka is going to hold this over our heads when her plan is successful yada yada but we know that that's not the real reason but yeah it is kind of missing like we had four episodes with this character that could have that we could have seen some sort of redeeming uh characteristics here but we haven't really all that we've seen from her is that she's an irresponsible uh, criminal (laughs) who's who's a wannabe criminal at best and is not really good at it 
Right. Yeah. If in the first episode she was at odds with Ahsoka because they don't really know each other's deal and she's trying to keep up this rogue persona, you know, and, and, you know, she's, she's clinging to that identity of wanting to, you know, make a name for herself as, as more of a, an outlaw. That's great. Then in the second episode, we get the reveal of the parents and we realize, oh, there's just pain underneath all this, but there's hum- humanity there. Then in the third episode, she has to strip down that rogue personality and emerge as a hero. That's the arc. That makes sense. They just went so overboard with her being, you know, uh, just having her hooks into her sister and wanting the worst for Ahsoka past all reason, like not being willing to acknowledge that she created this problem. She dragged them into it at every turn. She's creating more chaos and problems for the people around her. There's no personal growth at any point up until this moment. That's why it's so jarring, but it's, not something we need to harp on. It's this is star Wars animated fair. There's going to be plot conveniences. There's plot conveniences in the movies. So I, I don't know. I think that's probably my final word on it. it. It is what it is. Yeah. And the next thing that we get here, which really sends this episode kind of over the top and, mm. and is like this, uh, John, do you like steak? I do like steak. So here's what this episode did. This was like a fresh steak right off the grill. It just smells so delicious. And Lucasfilm is just kind of holding it right underneath our nose with this entire episode. Because with this Maul reveal, I mean, we knew that Maul was coming. But they Mm -hmm. couldn't have done this any better. Because I knew Maul was coming in. I figured it was going to be a reference to him in this episode. Especially when we get the Pike saying, yeah, we're working for a guy who always knows what's going on. But the way they revealed it was so spectacular i mean it it was reminiscent of his first reveal in the phantom menace it was reminiscent of his reveal in solo it's basically this theme of how maul is revealed through this holocron uh conversation and he basically is sensing ahsoka being there spying Mm -hmm. in on this conversation and then this crimson dawn reference i mean what do we make of that well we know that by the time the Han Solo movie happens, which is about 10 years out from now, you know, he's consolidated power and he's got the Pikes. He's got everyone basically under the Crimson Dawn banner. Like it is a sprawling criminal enterprise. Uh, and apparently, you know, he's been hard at work since the time that um, he sort of manipulated his way into power on Mandalore. Uh, we know that he's kind of you know, gone off world and he's begun constructing this criminal empire. And apparently at this point, he feels like he's sitting pretty, like he's got a good situation and he can begin to assert power over these other factions. And so what we see is him beginning to dominate the Pikes. And by the time Solo comes around, you know, they're completely subservient as far as we know, at least that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a cursory reading of, of the timeline, just kind of based on the bits and pieces that I'm aware of. So this is Maul Ascendant, you know, after he was brought low by Palpatine and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's taken his knocks over the years. This is his kind of last great emergence as a, a force in the galaxy. Um, so I, I think he's feeling pretty good about himself and, and enough so that, yeah, he's willing to, uh, subjugate or, uh, like demean, you know, the Pikes, like they're, they're not peers in this situation. The Pikes understand that he can bring down hell on them if he's so inclined. So you, you, you just get the sense that Maul's on an upswing. And this is going to be a hot take here. Okay. But the best thing, in my opinion, that Disney has done with this Star Wars property has been what they have done with Maul. So through Rebels 
and then through Solo, and then, of course, through this final season of Clone Wars, because I'm going to say something, and this might be extremely uh, controversial, but if they announce tomorrow, if Lucasfilm was saying, like, hey, you know, we're actually going to put the brakes once again on Obi-Wan, and we're just <laughs> going to have a mall, like, crime underworld series, sure, I wouldn't be mad. I would be like, oh my gosh, because that's what I wanted ever since Solo. So ever since right. Solo came out, and we had this reveal of all i'm like i want to see what's going on here and the and really the clone wars hasn't really given me that desire for like you know a spin-off series or mm -hmm. something else throughout their seven seasons but this right here makes me want a fully focused mall series and so maybe obi-wan gets into that and in my opinion it would be a huge miss for lucasfilm to not involve mall in that obi-wan series because i mean what he's doing here is crazy i mean it's truly manipulative it's he's taking over you know a basically a crime industry a criminal industry here mm -hmm. with running spice and all the stuff that makes me just want more of it well that is certainly a hot take if they put obi-wan on the back burner to do some sort of a mall property uh i would be upset you know like we've been waiting for obi-wan for so long but i think i think there is an opportunity here. I don't think that anything's really in the works, um, but I think it would be great if they took what they established in the solo movie, they were planning on doing multiple movies, right? They signed all the actors. They, they had a rough outline of how we were going to get from, you know, the, the initial Kessel run, getting the millennium Falcon, all the lore, get all that out of the way in the first one. And then you start to see his exploits with the huts and you see Han Solo move through this world. You were going to get that over the next couple movies. I would love if they parlayed that into a series on Disney plus yeah. and then what they could do is weave in mall as needed since he was a major player at the beginning of the, of solos, you know, uh, time as a smuggler, since we know Crimson Dawn was a player at that point, Crimson Dawn could be, you know, at odds with the huts and it could be, you know, the story of maybe how the huts supplant them and, and, you know, push Crimson Dawn out of the picture, whatever it is, we don't, we don't have to speculate on what the landscape looks like, but I would love to see that world for those 10 years. That would be a great series. And what we know is Maul meets his end at Obi-Wan's hand on Tatooine when he gets a little too close, you know, to, to the situation that, uh, Obi-Wan, you know, needs to protect. So what a wonderful conclusion then, if you could watch these back to back, watch whatever this, solo underworld series could be in its own right but then you still have that capper we've seen it in animation but it would be really neat if we saw it from a slightly different vantage point in live action without contradicting what we saw in rebels if we could see just a a more you know epic version of of that encounter fantastic that would be a great set piece to put in the middle of the obi-wan show and then they could all dovetail and then you've got all this continuity between the clone wars and rebels and solo and it all just starts to feel like a, a fleshed out world rather than these disparate little peacons you know throughout the past 20 years that's what i would like to see but i wouldn't put obi-wan on hold for it <laughs> that's 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 the only area where we differ <laughs> Yeah. And of course, if this is the future of Star Wars, I'm not mad because, I mean, we have a full saga of films. We have nine of them. If they just went and said, yeah, the future for now is going to be these shows that that neatly connects everything together. They they vote that that's the best way to do it through Disney Plus. I'm not mad here. But 
one of the things that we are for sure getting in this series, which I'm super excited about, and I've been excited ever since they had this reveal at Star Wars Celebration, is that Maul is somehow involved in what's ever going on in Mandalore. So we are getting that. And so that makes me super excited here. Ahsoka figures that out. We see that this puts her on the path. This is kind of the fulfillment of this Jedi fortune cookie. And then, of course, the Martez sisters, they come back and they find out that Ahsoka is a Jedi. Right. So this was something that I was expecting some more fireworks from. I thought this was going to be a line in the sand where Ahsoka was going to lose the faith of the Martez sisters and they were going to be at odds. And that was something they were going to have to overcome. But the girls got on board pretty quick. Now, Ahsoka had already done this selfless move and both of the girls recognized that they had to go back. So, I mean, we're maybe ahsoka has just proven herself uh beyond a shadow of a doubt and so it's easier for them to swallow that she used to be a jedi you know they learned that that's actually a thing that can even happen uh so this was a nice scene but something like that that they've already built up as being such a deal breaker for these girls and such a problem between them a potential problem i was expecting more from it uh it it just really was like a little speed bump and then they're you know past it and they're all on the same page again so I don't know. I would I wonder if that was maybe a little underdeveloped. Yeah. And the way I kind of read into that was, of course, we had this this incident with the Jedi and the Martez family where they're basically kind of left on the limbs here and have to clean up the Jedi's mess. And just like, hey, don't worry, the force is going to be with you. And Ahsoka mm-hmm. doesn't even do that. Ahsoka doesn't uh, tell them while they're in the cell, like, hey, we need to relax. Just trust the force. Kind of the classic Obi-Wan right. every time he's trapped. Like, let's just wait this out. Uh, but she takes matters into her own hands and she sacrifices herself for the Martez sisters, which is kind of the opposite, uh, and at least from the Martez point of view, uh, what happened from their first encounter. And so you have Ahsoka that's like, okay, I'm not going to say, you know, trust the Force, may the Force be with you and go upon your way. She's like, no, I'm going to get you out of this, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take the hit. I'm not going to sacrifice that's you fair. for this. Yeah, no, this is the first time they've seen a Jedi do something that they would consider like truly noble and selfless. They've they've only seen the collateral damage and the fallout of the Jedi's activity. They've never been the beneficiary of it. So you're right. I guess maybe it just needed to be a little more underscored for that to register with me. Like I just I didn't think that that's what they were trying to say with the scene. But I think you're right. I think that's probably the better reading of it. I just would have maybe liked that to be a bit more obvious. Yeah, and so then we have this this nice reveal. So Ahsoka, her plan, the, the the collective plan is ultimately successful. There's the big explosion of the Pikes mm-hmm. industry, which is of course going to turn Maul against the Pikes and then bring Crimson Dawn into their to their height here. Uh, but we see them get off planet. They get back home, and then we have this reveal of who these Mandalorians are that are keeping a close eye on Ahsoka. And it's Bo-Katan Kryze, which basically Mm -hmm. uh, she approaches Ahsoka and says, hey, we need some help here, and we can help each other out, basically. Now, with this reveal, I figured it was going to be Ursa Wren. Like, I just, for some reason, that was in my mind here. Well, Ursa Wren is among the Mandalorians that are in this expedition. It's just Bo-Katan's the leader, so she's the one that's going to speak up. So that's why we, you know, see her with her mask off in this particular encounter. But we know that Ursa Wren is, you know, a factor in all this, which is which is nice continuity with with Rebels. My only question about this scene, and it's so trivial, 
<laughs> maybe maybe I was just in a funny mood when I was watching this, but I'm thinking, do spaceships not make noise anymore? Because, you know, the girls get into their hangar and they're out having a conversation. At what point does the Mandalorian craft land and these Mandalorians just nonchalantly exit the craft and walk up to them without the girls knowing it? Because it's this big surprise that the Mandalorians are there, like they snuck up on them. But then you see their spaceship, like, 20 feet off, you know, on the edge of the hangar. So I don't know. Um, an appropriate scene because we need to set the table. We need to know where our characters are going at this point, And we need to understand that, yes, Ahsoka is going to Mandalore and she's going to help, um, hopefully eject Maul from the equation there. That's all great. I just, I thought that it was a funny way to stage it personally. I would have liked to see them turn around as the ship's coming down and they're like, wait a minute, have we been found out? Is, is this the end for us? You know, have the pikes come for us and then the Mandalorians get out and now, you know, you know, there's something new is about to develop for our characters. That's something, that's how I would have staged that particular scene. Yeah, it was definitely odd how it's just kind of they they show up and the ships in the background, because at first I was kind of thinking the same thing, like, well, maybe they parked it elsewhere a little right. more hidden, but no, Which it's makes sense. right yeah. there. But yeah, ultimately, these last four episodes have been just a teaser of yes. this long story arc that has that is oddly long. Like usually it's kind of one, two, three. This was one, two, three uh, and four. Uh, the first one, yeah. I don't think the first one really counts because I think Lucasfilm was approaching that of, okay, let's just introduce these sisters and get these sisters into contact with Ahsoka. Then we get into the story. But yeah, it was a, it was oddly long teaser story arc here. A lot of times with the Clone Wars arcs, there's like one transitional episode. So you can kind of read it either way. Either it's a three episode arc and then a transition episode and then another three episode arc, or it's kind of like a four episode arc, but the last episode is also kind of like the beginning of the next arc. So I've always thought of the Clone Wars as usually having three to four episode arcs. So I don't consider this excessively long on any other season where we're just not waiting for the end game. We're not waiting to see, you know, how this is all going to wrap up. These would all be perfectly acceptable. It's just in the context of this particular season, after so much, you know, pent up excitement for the series coming back, it just really feels like there's a lot of fluff here, you know, that we could have uh, done without. But this is so easy to say, you know, we can sit back here and watch the final product and say, yeah, it's a little, little too padded out for our liking. But when they're making the show, they got to tell the story the best they can. And and it's not really until it's up on screen that anyone can really look back and say, you know, with uh 2020 hindsight that maybe they could have approached it a little different. So I'm forgiving of it. I just want to communicate that I'm, I'm just really excited to, to go from here. Like they, these Martez sisters, they're, they're nice people to encounter along the way, but I don't consider these to be like epic Clone Wars characters that I'm really invested in that I super care about. So I just didn't need an introduction, you know, to more characters at the end here. Uh, I think we've got enough pieces on the board uh, that we just didn't really need this. It, it felt more of a diversion. It gets you back in Ahsoka's head. I get that. It just, yeah, it, it's just not really what I was, what I was hoping for at this point, but it, I think we can finally say that we're at the end of this particular arc one way or another, uh, which makes me very excited for where we're going to be next week. Yeah, and it's really interesting how excited I am because we kind of know how this ends. So all the characters involved, like we know what happens of them. I mean, we see Bo-Katan again in Rebels. We see, right. of course, Ahsoka in Rebels and Maul in Rebels. So we know that the stakes aren't necessarily high for these characters in terms of, you know, we know what their fate is going to be for the most part. Ahsoka's kind of up in the air there, but... Yeah, it's really interesting how I'm 
intrigued and excited to see what happens on Mandalore because, of course, in The Mandalorian in season one, we kind of got a tease, of course, with Moff Gideon and what happened in his, uh, maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily his involvement in it, but kind of uh, this after the siege of Mandalore, what really happened to this planet. And so the stakes are still super high because I'm interested to see what happens and then to see if this is what drives Ahsoka to being the Ahsoka that we get in Rebels. Yeah. I don't think the Ahsoka that we're seeing right now is too far off from what we see in Rebels. So I I think you can just kind of assume that that 15 years of time before Rebels starts is enough for her to continue on this path of just trying to be a force for good in the galaxy on her own terms. Like I, I feel like this is what she's settling on very quickly here as we, as we go through these episodes. So yeah, more than anything, this is just going to be a nice way to add more context and make the payoffs that we see in rebels have that much more impact. Cause we're going to know these characters a little better. And we're going to understand a little bit more of where they came from. You know, that that's what it's going to be. We're just going to, we're just going to feel more connected to the world when we go back and rewatch rebels or, you know, whatever other fair comes out of this that features them or the Mandalorian too, you know, because that's carrying on a bit of the story of this, uh, dispersed people, you know, and we're going to understand a bit more of how they became so scattered in the galaxy, you know, from hopefully what we see over the next few episodes. So there's uh, a lot of, uh, good context and meat that we're going to get from it. But yeah, it's it's not like we're worried that any of these characters are going to die because we kind of already know how everyone goes out. Um, but that's the the trouble with prequels. Uh, I'm still excited regardless because there's still so much we don't know. We don't know how Ahsoka is going to maybe rally some clones, you know, her particular battalion. We, we're not quite sure, you know, how that all plays out. Uh, and we just don't really know what the landscape's going to look like on Mandalore when they get there and what the real challenge is that they're going to have to surmount. So uh, still a lot of questions to be answered. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, as am I. I'm so looking forward to this. I'm thinking that this is where Ahsoka gets her new uh, white lightsabers by the end of this. I think that mm. be, just the theme. I mean, we kind of have this theme of the the samurai with the Mandalorian, and the Mandalores have always kind of been kind of that theme. And then, of course, Ahsoka's sabers in Star Wars Rebels is very reminiscent of a samurai. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. There's a whole lot of speculation that can be done. But anyways, we had Clone Wars returned. And then finally, John, something else returned. Saturday Night Live. Uh, In a sense, yeah. SNL is going to attempt their first SNL at home broadcast. A lot of the late night shows have been trying to do something to put up on air while everyone's sequestered. SNL is going to give it a go. All of the cast is going to be participating in some form or another. I have no idea what tonight's episode is going to look like, but I'm going to be talking about it. We're going to cover it. So yeah, we're going to be recording coverage for that uh, Sunday afternoon. We'll be dropping that early in the week. So by all means, if anybody enjoys Saturday Night Live and wants to uh, bat around what this sort of unique and historic circumstances that the show is trying to navigate. Uh, we're going to be breaking it all down this weekend. So by all means, come over to snlpodcast.com or find us at SNL after party on all of your podcast playing apps. And you can keep up with this show on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can keep up with the rest of our episodes online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a five star review. And you can find more TV Talk podcasts at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always. <laughs>